can soldiers be saved? Can Christians be soldiers and have a good conscience? This question has been discussed throughout the history of the church. We're going to talk about it today on Veterans Day here on Cross Defense, and we're going to let Dr. Martin Luther be our guide. He wrote this beautiful little book, Whether Soldiers Too Can Be Saved, where he says not only are soldiers doing a good work for their neighbor, but also a good work for God. We'll talk about it. Thanks for downloading the podcast. Here we go. Hey, hey, welcome to Cross Defense. Good Monday afternoon. God be praised for a new day in his mercy and in his kindness. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, here on Cross Defense, pastor of St. Paul and Jesus Deaf Lutheran Church in Austin, Texas, broadcasting from the new tower studio here at St. Paul. Drop in. I'll give you a tour, although it's not, it's not impressive yet. It's getting impressive bit by bit. Happy Veterans Day. By the way, today is the anniversary of Armistice Day, the day that World War I was officially declared over. And recently we celebrated as Veterans Day, remembering all those who fought to preserve peace. And, and I want to I talk about that today. In fact, my, my plan for today, you know on Cross Defense what we like to do is take up curious theological topics and talk about them, address them in various different ways. I want to talk about this old essay a little, it's almost a letter, a little book, the mini book that Luther published, Martin Luther, in 1526. Today is also the baptismal birthday of Martin Luther, St. Martin's Day, which is why Hans and Marguerite Luther named their son Martin. Uh, and he wrote this little essay in the aftermath of the Peasants' War asking this question, is it all right for a Christian to be a soldier? I'm going to walk through that and talk through some of those questions today. That's that's what we're after. That's what we're gonna. That's what we're gonna do. Now, I want to. I want to do this for a number of reasons, um, but one of them is I want to maybe start with a story. I, I remember going to, to talk to an old friend. We were friends from, uh, back in the Albuquerque days, and um, and we had gone in different directions. I had headed off to the seminary. He had headed off to, uh, the armed forces and had been, uh, sent overseas. We knew each other from church, but he had been sent overseas. He'd done a couple of tours, I believe, in Iraq, and um, and we had lost touch with one another until uh, a couple of years ago. And um, and he he reached out because he was going to be close by, and and asked if we could get together. And I went to went to visit him, and he was wrestling with a, with a deep and profound wrestling with his vocation as soldier with the things that he had done with the things that he had seen with the things that had been done to him when he was serving overseas as a soldier and and as he was wrestling through those things and thinking through those things I said to him well you know remember what we learned about this in catechism that that to go and be a soldier is a good work and he stopped. He said, wait, say that again. And I said, being a soldier is a good work. And the work of fighting that a soldier does is a good work. And he was stunned. He, he, he said, if I learned it, I had forgotten it. And, and he said, that is the most incredible thing that I've been told. I've been talking to, you know, the military provides kind of doctors and 
friends and psychologists and stuff and people to talk to. And he said, I've been working through these things, who I am and what I've done and, and what I've seen and what I've experienced. And I, I have been trying to process all of these things as sins. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't think that they were good works. I thought that they were, that they were terrible sins that I had done. That, that, and I, I wasn't sure if I could be forgiven. He says, you, you are absolutely blowing my mind here, Brian, he tells me. He, I never even can see. And, and I realized at that point that this doctrine, uh, this teaching, this understanding, that soldiering is a good work in the sight of God is perhaps something that we've lost sight of in the church. So I want to I want to just work through a couple of the th things that Luther talks about that uh, um, in in this regard in this little essay whether soldiers too can be saved. Now this essay, by the way, is available. You can download it for free. I've got it on my website. If you just go to wolfmuller.co/slash/downloads, I think that's the way to do it. You go to slash downloads and you can just scroll down to the list of Luther books that we've got and and you can get or you could just you could order a print copy for five bucks. If you, if, this would be really helpful to get if you if you know a soldier or someone who's wrestling through um, some post traumatic stress or some guilt or some shame from their life on the battlefield. This might be a good gift to them, especially the first few pages. So that's what we're that's what we're going to do today. Sound good? Okay. You can't talk back, so you don't have a choice. Now I want to start with this distinction that Luther's going to make right off the bat. He's going to say this. Uh, in this letter, in the first place, a distinction must be made between an occupation and the man who is in it, between a work and the doer of it. An occupation or a work, or we might say here an office, can be good and right in itself and yet be bad and wrong if the man in the occupation or the doer of the work is not good or right or does not do his duty rightly. Luther gives example examples here. The office of a judge is a precious and godly office, but who is in the office is assumed by the one to whom it has not been committed or by one who, though it has been committed to him, discharges its duties with a view to securing money or favor, then it's no longer right or good. The married state, here's another example, the married state also is precious and godly, but there's many a rascal and a knave in it. It's the same way with the occupation or work of the soldier. In itself, it is right and godly, but we must see to it that the persons who are in the occupation and who do the work are the right kind of persons, godly and upright. That's what we're going to work on. Now, this distinction, I think, is, is particularly helpful for us to meditate on and reflect on, and that is the distinction between the office and the person in the office. I don't, it's so, it's kind of so basic to our human thinking and our human living that I don't think we often would think about it. But there, there's an office, and that office can either be right or wrong. The job or occupation can be right or wrong. And then the person in it can be right or wrong. So you can have a great office, like the, like the office of preacher. It's an office established by God. But then you get somebody in it who is an unbeliever or someone who's a false teacher, and they abuse the office. Now, that doesn't mean that the office is bad. It means that the person occupying the office is destroying the office. Now, the thing for soldiers to meditate on, to really kind of put our hearts and our consciences around, is this, first of all, that the office of soldier is a good work. The office of being a soldier and going off to war and doing soldiering things is in itself good.
Now, Luther wants to make a distinction before he goes too much farther, and he's going to say, look, 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 when we're talking about being good and being righteous in office, we're talking about the righteousness that prevails before man and not the righteousness that prevails before God. That is only accomplished by faith in Jesus. Here's what he says. The only thing that can make men good in the sight of God is faith in Jesus Christ. He says, I'm not speaking this time about the righteousness that makes men good in the sight of God. That's only by faith. Granted and given us by the grace of God alone, without any works or merits of our own, as I've written and taught so often and so much in other places. But I'm speaking here about an external righteousness which is to be sought in offices and works. In other words, to put it plainly, I am dealing here in this little book with such questions as these. Whether the Christian faith by which we are accounted righteous before God, can tolerate alongside it that I be a soldier, that I go to war, and slay and stab, rob and burn, as one does to enemies by military law in times of war. Whether this work is sin or wrong, about which one should have scruples before God, or whether a Christian must only do good and love and kill no one, nor do anyone any harm. I say that this office or work even though it were godly and right, can nevertheless become bad and wrong if the person engaged in it is bad or wrong. Now, so, so Luther wants to say, look, when we're dealing with this question of righteousness, there's two ways to think about it. Is this is going to be a soldier, even if it's a great high good work, is that going to make me right in the sight of God? And the answer, we all cry out together, no. The only thing that can make me right in the sight of God is, is Jesus is faith in his death and resurrection, is a trust in his blood for us. That's what makes us right. But what makes me right before one another? What makes me right before you, the listener, before the people in my congregation? What makes me right before my wife and before my children? That's not faith in Jesus. That's actually living according to the good works and the offices that God has given me. Uh, now, Luther's going to explain why why going to war is a good work. And here he's going to lean right on Romans 13, verse 1. Now, if you're a soldier or if you're interested in these things, Romans 13, verse 1 and following is for you. Here's what Paul writes at that place. He says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God an avenger who carries out God's wrath on wrongdoers. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. 
And Luther's going to base basically his whole argument on, on this particular text, and even in this text on one word in the text, and that's the word sword. Now, the sword stands for something. It doesn't mean that the emperor is the only guy that just carries around a sword, but the sword is a symbol for temporal authority. The sword slays, it punishes. And that sword is directed both inwardly and outwardly. It's directed inwardly towards the nation with things like courts and police and things like that. And it's directed outwardly towards other nations that are coming to disturb the peace. And that's the authority to have an army and to go to war. The sword, therefore, is the authority to put to death. And, and the Lord says here through Paul in Romans 13 that the sword is given by God. It's not something that authorities take up themselves, but it's actually instituted by God. Here's, here's how Luther says it. For the very fact that the sword has been instituted of God to punish the evil and protect the good and to preserve peace is proof, powerful and sufficient, that fighting and slaying and the other things that war times and martial law bring with them have been instituted by God. For what else is war than the punishment of wrong and evil? Luther continues, why does anyone go to war except because he desires peace and obedience? Now, th this is Luther then giving us this doctrine that, it, that, that the state has the authority to wage war and that it ought to do so to punish evildoers and to bring about peace. Now, we, we kind of, I don't know, we sort of rise up in objection to that and we say, how can, how can war possibly be understood as a good work? I mean, after all, it's ugly. There's, there's blood and there's dying. Uh, there's violence. There's disruption. There's destruction. How can it possibly be a good work? Well, Luther has a beautiful little illustration to show us how. He says this, Although slaying and robbing do not seem to be a work of love, and therefore a simple man thinks it not a Christian thing to do, yet in truth even this is a work of love. By way of illustration, a good physician, when a disease is so bad and so great that he has to cut off a hand, foot, ear, eye, or let it decay, does so in order to save the body. Looked at from the point of view of the member that he cuts off, he seems a cruel and merciless man. But looked at from the point of view of the body, which he intends to save, it turns out that he is a fine and true man, and does a work that is good and Christian as far as it goes. If you have gangrene in your finger, and the only thing that's going to happen is it's either going to spread and destroy the rest of your body, or you have to cut the finger off, then you take the knife, the sword, and you cut off, the doctor cuts off the finger. Now the finger does not think that this doctor is a friend, <laughs> but the rest of the body does. So it is when we go to war. So it is when the government bears the sword. It's bringing a little death to prevent the bigger death from spreading all over. This is so important. And again, if, if you're a soldier or if you know a soldier, this is, this is so important to understand this because oftentimes soldiers are, are trained on how to handle weapons, you know, how to handle airplanes, how to handle missiles, how to handle rifles, how to handle their equipment. But how do you handle your conscience? This is what Luther is helping us with. He goes on. In the same way, when I think of the office of soldier, 
how it punishes the wicked, slays the unjust, and creates so much misery. It seems an unchristian work and entirely contrary to Christian love. But if I think of how it protects the good and keeps and preserves a house and home, wife and child, property and honor and peace, then it appears how precious and godly this work is. And I observe that it cuts off a hand or a leg so that the whole body may not perish. For if the sword, and here's the key point here, for if the sword were not on guard to preserve peace, everything in the world must go to ruin because of lack of peace. Think about that. If there were no armies, just think if, if all the nations of the world just abandoned their armies and tossed them aside, what would there be, what would there be in the world? It would be utter chaos. It's not, it's an, it's not like... It's not like a lack of war would bring a lack of war. Therefore, such a war, Luther continues, is only a little brief lack of peace that presents an immeasurable lack of peace, an everlasting and immeasurable lack of peace. War is a small misfortune that prevents a greater misfortune. Well, there's a start. We're talking about Luther on whether soldiers too can be saved here on Veterans Day and talking about the two kingdoms, talking about the two governments that the Lord uses to rule and reign in the world. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, pastor of Jesus, Deaf, and St. Paul Lutheran Church in Austin, Texas. We're going to have a short break. We're going to be right back. We'll keep talking about this. If you know some soldiers, have them tune in. Join us for this. Glad to talk to you about it. We can rejoice in the Lord's work together. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hey, thanks for listening to the podcast here. Your host, Brian Wolfmuller, in the middle, interrupting to talk about support for the podcast. If you enjoy the show and want to help keep it going, KFUO uh, is doing not only this show, but a ton of other great episodes. And all of it is listener-supported, listener-sponsored, and so forth. If you have interest in being an underwriter for the show, supporting maybe just the podcast or something like that, would you, would you let me know? Uh, Wolfmuller.co slash contact. We can talk about what the options are there as well. Thanks again for listening, for sharing, for being part of the fun. Back to the show. All right, welcome back to Cross the Fence. Pastor Brian Wolfmuller here, your host, broadcasting from the Tower Studio. I just think that sounds cool. The Tower Studio. You know, Luther had his tower moment. Happy baptismal birthday to Martin Luther, who was born yesterday. Bapti his dad took him right down the street to be baptized in the church there the day after, St. Martin's Day, how he got his name. We're talking about Luther's idea, whether soldiers too can be saved. This, is, becomes, uh, this comes up all the time in the church. It's this question of, is it right for a Christian to be a soldier? Can a Christian go to war with a good conscience? What is it murder with a soldier? Uh, stabs and slays and kills and shoots somebody? Is that murder or is that what? How can it not be? And I told you the guys the story at the very beginning. I was talking to a soldier friend of mine and said, hey, it's not murder. In fact, it's a good work. It's not breaking the fifth. When a, when a Christian, when a soldier goes to war, non-Christian or Christian, no matter, when a soldier goes to war, they're not breaking the fifth commandment. They're keeping the fifth commandment. It's this little death to prevent. It's an authorized killing to prevent the unauthorized killing. It's a little death to prevent the bigger death. Now, this doesn't mean that whatever a soldier does is automatically right and good. 
Like it's good for a for a pastor to preach, but that doesn't mean that everything he says is directly from God. No, he has the obligation of living right in the office, and the same is true for a soldier. Just because a soldier is a soldier doesn't mean that he's above the law and the requirements of right and wrong. But the basic work of being a soldier, of going off to war in obedience to the government and so forth, is in fact a good work. And that's what we're talking about in this little tract, Whether Soldiers Too Can Be Saved, written by Luther. So big question, and, and Luther's taken it to us, and he gave us this picture. Imagine that the, a finger or a toe is sick. And the doctor has to cut it off to prevent the infection from spreading to the rest of the body. Well, the toe doesn't think that this is a good work, but the rest of the body does. So it is with war. And he's going to continue that argument in a particularly nice way. This is what Luther says. When men write about war then and say that it is a great plague, that's all true. But they should also see how great the plague is that it prevents. If people were good and glad to keep peace, war would be the greatest plague on earth. But what are you going to do with the fact that people will not keep peace, but rob, steal, kill, outrage women and children, and take away property and honor? The small lack of peace, called war, or the sword, must set a check upon this universal worldwide lack of peace before which no one could stand. So he goes on to say, look, it's, it's true that, that this lack of peace, this thing called war, is an ugly business, but it, present, it prevents an even uglier business. If there was no war, there would only be war. If there was no armies, then there would only be armies. If there was no fighting on the battlefield, then there would, the whole world would become a battlefield. If there was no punishment for theft, for example, the whole world would be a den of thieves and so forth and so on. Therefore, God honors the sword. I, I continue with Luther. Therefore, God honors the sword so highly that he calls it his own ordinance and will not have men say or imagine that they have invented it or instituted it. For the hand that wields the sword and slays with it then is no more man's hands but God's and is not man but God who hangs, tortures, beheads, slays, and fights all these are his works and his judgments. We said before that this is an astonishing insight for most soldiers, that to go and to fight is not only a, not a sin, but in fact a good work. But Luther goes on to say not only is it a good work, that it's God's work himself. For the one who bears the sword does so at, at God's institution. It's God who is doing this thing when a, when a nation goes to war to defend itself and to defend its peace. It's God who is, is, is bearing the sword and bringing the judgment against the people that are being fought against. In a word, Luther continues, in thinking of the soldier's office, we must not have regard to the slaying, burning, smiting, seizing, etc. That's what the narrow, simple eyes of children do when they see in the physician only a man who cuts off hands or saws off legs, but do not see that he does it to save the whole body. So, too, we must look at the office of the soldier or the sword with grown-up eyes and see why it slays, why it acts so cruelly. Then it will prove itself to be an office that in itself is godly, as needful and useful to the world as eating or drinking or any other work. 
Now, I'm gonna, I, I just want to kind of stop there for a bit and, and just sort of bask in the clarity of it all. That Luther understands that there are two authorities that God uses to rule and govern in the world. There is the authority of the sword, that is temporal authority, and that's the authority to kill, to punish, to threaten, to coerce, and that belongs to the state, and in some ways to the family as, as a related institution. In fact, it, it, it belongs primarily to the family and by extension to the state, but maybe that's, that's a conversation for a different time. And then there is the authority of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Sometimes people have called this the left-hand kingdom and the right-hand kingdom. The left-hand kingdom of God is the authority of the sword by which he smites and slays and wages war and so forth. And the right-hand kingdom of God is his church, where he rules according to the gospel and according to his peace. And both are set up by God. That is the thing that we don't want to miss. That's the thing that we want to make sure that we grasp a hold of. That when we're, when we're dealing with the Lord's word, we're dealing with the Lord's word. And when we're dealing with temporal government, we're also dealing with the Lord's institution. The Lord has, has given these two authorities for two different reasons. One is to protect and promote earthly life. That's the, the left-hand kingdom of the sword. And the other is to protect and promote, promote eternal life. That's the church. That's the gift of the Holy Spirit given through the Word of God. So that both are in service of life, one temporal and one eternal. But the Lord has instituted both. Now one of the great, hmm, one of the great dangers, I suppose, of medieval uh, Roman Catholic theology was that it understood that these two authorities could not be commingled. In fact, when you get to the three estates, the family, the state, and the church, they had the idea that you had to be in one or another. There were those who rule, those who, f those who fight, those who rule, that's one. Those who fight, those who pray, and those who work. And you weren't, you were one of the three. But one of the great and profound, profound um, insights of the conservative Reformation, it belonged to Luther, but also to the other magisterial reformers like Calvin and so forth, one of the great insights was that it's not like we're in one of these three estates, but in fact that the Lord has placed us in all of them. So that we are citizens, that we are part of the family, and that we are part of the church. That we are engaged in all of these different activities and we have all of these different callings, and that that does not mean that we're not Christians. We do not have to lay down the sword. We do not have to give away all of our property. We do not have to leave public life in order to be part of the spiritual life that the Lord wants us to have in the church. That these belong, these things, being married and being a citizen, belong to the Christian as well. So this idea that to be holy you had to leave these things aside and go into the monastery, this is an old Roman Catholic idea, and oddly enough it's picked up by a lot of the radical Protestants. The Anabaptists were, well, at first they were very militarized, but then uh, the second wave of the Radical Reformation was very pacifist. So that even now you have groups like the Quakers or like um, uh, the Amish who say that it's not right for a Christian to be a soldier, that it would be a sin for a Christian to take up arms. 
because they they think that to be part of the holy people of God, you have to leave these earthly estates. And Luther's saying, no, no, it's the Lord's estate. The sword is the Lord's work. It might be a dirty work. It might be a frightful work if we look at it with children's eyes. But when we look at it with grown-up eyes, we recognize that this dirty work needs to be done, else that nothing would be clean. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> Nothing would be safe. Nothing would live. Okay. Now Luther's going to go on and press this argument a little bit further because remember, just because a work or an office is good doesn't mean that the person in the office is always doing the right thing. And that's what we have to talk about next. There are some who abuse this office and who slay and smite needlessly for no other reason than because they want to. But that is the fault of the person, not of the office. For where is there an office or a work or any other thing so good that self-willed wicked people do not abuse it? They are like crazy physicians who would cut off a sound hand without necessity and just because they wanted to. Nay, they're part of that universal lack of peace which must be prevented by right war and sword and forced into peace. <laughs> this is so crap. <laughs> Luther says, now granted, there are some people who go who want to go to war just because they're they have a bloodlust. They they're violent people, and they they're, they're going to go and be soldiers just so they can be violent. Now, is that good? Luther says, no, though that's actually evil, and it's one of the reasons why we have to have war and why we have to have courts and law and justice to prevent people like that from doing whatever they want. It always happens, and always has happened that those who begin war unnecessarily are beaten, for they cannot finally escape God's judgment, that is, his sword. It finds them and strikes them at last, as happened to the peasants in this revolt. So, Luther says, if you're just going to war, to go to war, and this is a principle that he's going to develop uh, quite a bit in this whole tract, but if you're just going to war to go to war, you're in trouble, because history is going to show us that that those who go and simply start wars, those who go to uh, just be out of a out of a desire to go to war, those who do that kind of thing always end up falling short. All right, a little bit more. I'm going to skip a couple of pages to get because uh, we're going to run. We always run out of time in this show, and we're going to do that again today. But we'll skip forward a little bit and pick up a few things. Here's Luther talking about these two governments. Uh, he he talks about this. Christians, indeed, do not fight and have no worldly rulers among them. The government in the church is a spiritual government, and according to the Spirit, they are subjects of no one but Christ. That, this means that the Christian exists... Um, the, the Christian is a citizen of, a, of the heavenly kingdom. The Christian... Uh, but before the Christian is an American or a Canadian or a Mexican or a Kenyan or a, uh, you know, a Russian or whatever, before the Christian belongs to a country, their citizenship is in heaven. Our first king and ruler is Jesus. We, we belong, first of all, to him. And we live in his spiritual government, which is governed not by the sword, but rather by the word and by the spirit. And so we live subject to no one in this way, as Christians, as the baptized believer. But 
we, we're not only spiritual. Luther says, nevertheless, as far as body and property are concerned, they, the Christian person, is subject to worldly rulers and owe them obedience. So that according to, according to being Christian, according to our baptism, we belong to the kingdom of Jesus, but according to our body and our property and our family and our history and all this sort of stuff, we belong to earthly rulers and we owe them obedience. If worldly rulers call on us to fight, then we ought to and must fight and be obedient, not as Christians, but as members of the state and obedient subjects as regards the body and temporal possessions. So that we don't go to fight because we're Christians, but we go to fight because we're citizens. We go to fight because we are people, who we, because we are men who live in a particular country and who are under authority. That then is the sum and substance of it. Oh, I wonder if I should skip this paragraph. I, yeah, no, let me give you this paragraph too. This is so great. By the way, if you so, I'm I'm reading from Luther whether soldiers too can be saved, and you can download a copy of this thing if you just go to wolfmuller.co/downloads, and you'll find a ton of stuff to download, a ton of free books. I'm skipping around and picking up things, but it's it's better to just uh, to go and get it. And I think you can buy this thing for like five bucks. Uh, if you, there's someone that you want to give it to, it's, it's just never nice to give someone like a free PDF download. It just doesn't make a good gift. <laughs> but if you know soldiers or people who are struggling with this, or basically, you know, anybody who has a vocation of violence, a police officer, a judge, an executioner, uh, a lawyer, these are all vocations of violence. In fact, I think probably in some way every vocation has some violence involved in it. I was thinking about this in regards to surgeons the other day. That's kind of a quiet yet violent vocation. But every, but every vocation involves some form of violence, so we all need to know that this is a good work that we're doing. Whenever, you know, a parent disciplines a child or a farmer tears up the ground or a lawyer argues something or a, a student takes apart an argument or... A teacher disciplines the student. I mean, basically every, every vocation has a little bit of violence in it, but, but some are really for the purpose of bringing violence, like the soldier or the police officer. This would be good to, to give it to them because we want to know how to handle the conscience when it comes to this kind of violence because we know that this violence wasn't originally intended by God, and yet the Lord has, the Lord has instituted the sword to prevent the, this great spread of violence everywhere. So we as Christians know that we can take up the sword. Luther continues, Therefore, when they, the Christian, fight, they do it not for themselves or on their own account, but as a service and an act of obedience to the rulers under whom they are. As St. Paul writes to Titus, they shall obey the rulers. That is the sum and substance of it. The sword in itself, the sword is in itself right and is a divine and useful ordinance which God will have not despised, but feared, honored, and obeyed on pain of vengeance, as St. Paul says, Romans 13:4. For he has established two kinds of governments among men. The one is spiritual, it has no sword, it has the word, by means of which men are to become good and righteous, so that with this righteousness they may attain everlasting life. This righteousness he administers through the word which he has committed to the preachers. The other is worldly government through the sword, which aims to keep peace among men. 
and this he rewards with temporal blessings. For he gives to rulers so much property, honor, and power to be possessed by them above others, in order that they may serve him by administering this righteousness. Thus God himself is the founder, Lord, master, protector, and rewarder of both kinds of righteousness. There is no human ordinance or authority in either, but each is altogether a divine thing. Now this is good for soldiers to remember. Hey, you're listening to Cross Defense. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolf. We've got one more segment. We're going to take up a, we're going to press it a little bit further, this argument of Luther, whether soldiers too can be saved. Talk about these two types of righteousnesses, more on the authority of the sword here on Veterans Day, November the 11th, 2019. Again, God be praised for the work of the soldier. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. Hope Lutheran Church of Aurora, Colorado is pleased to support this broadcast and every broadcast of Cross Defense right here on KRKS. Hope Lutheran Church rejoices in the Lord's Word and His kindness that He delivers to us every week. If you have questions about the congregation, please visit our website at hope-aurora.org for service times and information, and feel free to contact us. We'd love to hear from you and to bless you with the Lord's Word and the kindness of Jesus. Hey, welcome back to Cross Defense. Pastor Brian Wolfmuller here, Pastor St. Paul Lutheran Church, Jesus Deaf Lutheran Church in Austin, Texas, broadcasting from the Tower Studio. Man, I really, this is, a, this is a cool thing to say. I don't know. Good things happen in towers, I think. That's where Luther came clear on the gospel, and that's what we're talking about today. Not Luther's clarity on the gospel, but Luther's clarity on the doctrine of vocation. It's an overlooked hallmark of his teaching that he was able to see with with a kind of a, with a keen clarity, how we ought to think about things like vocations of violence. And especially on today, Veterans Day, we're talking about what it means to be a soldier. And we're establishing this, that being a soldier is in fact a good work, that the Lord himself is the one who's instituted the sword. And he's not instituted it in vain. He intends for it to be wielded. So that the work of going off and soldiering is a good work, a work that we can do with confidence. Now, there's a lot. So, and again, whether soldiers do can be saved, you can find it online. One of the, if you go to wolfmuller.co slash downloads, you can download it for free. Or there's a button there next to it. I think you can click and order it. I think it's five bucks. It might be four bucks, four or five bucks, something. This is a great little book for anyone who is a soldier. If you have family members who are soldiers, this is the stocking stuffing, the stocking stuffer you're after. I'm going to, I'm skipping to the end where Luther is taking up a number of questions. And one of the questions is, is it okay for citizens to rebel against their rulers? Now this is, Luther's not going to directly be asking or answering the question of like the American Revolution. I think the stuff that he says in here applies. If you guys are interested in that, let, let me know. Send me a note. Uh, uh, Wolfmuller.co has a bunch of other stuff too, including a button that says contact, where you can send me email and stuff like that. So if you're interested in my thoughts on the American Revolution, I don't know if you are. It's kind of, it's kind of an old conversation. But anyway, let me know. But but he he he's talking about especially the peasants' revolt. This is his context, and the peasants had said, "Hey, the rulers won't let us hold the gospel or whatever excuse. Can we go and rebel against them?" And Luther says, "Boy, it's better to have one wicked tyrant than to have a whole mob of little tyrants." And he gives this great picture. He talks about how basically, no, if you're under if you're under authority, you don't have the 
authority to go and rebel against those in authority. Neither is it wise to do so. And the Lord can take care of it without enlisting his Christians to do it. And the tyrants don't want to be afraid because they want to remember that the Lord is in fact in charge. And and Luther goes back to that again and again. Whenever we see injustice or trouble in our own lives, it's almost as if the devil is tempting us to forget that God's in charge and that vengeance belongs to the Lord. And, and he tempts us to take into our own hands the means to make things right. Luther, I, and I skipped this, but he talks about in here, it's really quite nice. He says, there's a difference between being right and wrong and judging right and wrong. It doesn't seem like that big of a difference, but it is a huge difference for us. And the question for us is, do we have the office of judge? Do we have the office of vindicator? Do we have the office of chastiser? Has God given us that office or not? If he's given us that office, we should, we should execute it, and we should execute it faithfully. But if he hasn't given us that office, we have not. Uh, so he's going to so give kind of at the end of that, he's going to give a little kind of a funny story. He's gonna, he says, I'm going to give you an example or two of this about how, the, how we should act under tyranny. He says, they should be noted. It would be profitable to follow these examples. We read of a widow who stood and prayed for her tyrant most devoutly that God would let him live long, etc. The tyrant heard it and was astonished because he well knew that he had done her much harm, and this prayer was unusual, for prayers for tyrants are not commonly of that kind. He asked her why she prayed thus for him, and she answered, I had ten cows in your grandfather's time. He took two of them. And I prayed against them that he might die, and your father became lord. It came to pass, and your father took three cows. I prayed again that you might become lord, and he might die. Now you have taken four cows, and so I am praying for you, for I am afraid that he who comes after you will take the last cow and everything that I have. <laughs> In other words, you say, well, I got a tyrant, so I get rid of this guy, give me someone new. But the new guy is even worse. Here's another example, Luther says. The scholars, too, have a parable about a beggar who's, who was full of wounds and flies that got into... Oh, this one's kind of gross, by the way. Just be warned. The beggar who had wounds and the flies got into it and sucked the blood and stung him. There came a merciful man who wanted to help him, and he drove away all the flies from him. But he cried out and said, what are you doing? Those flies were almost full. And they didn't worry me so much, but now the hungry flies will come into their place and will plague me far worse. So one person comes in to try to help, and he makes the problem worse. <laughs> Luther says, do you understand the fables? To change rulers and to improve rulers are two things far apart as heaven and earth. Changing may be easy. Improving is doubtful and risky. <laughs> Why? Because it's not in our will or power, but only in the will and the hand of God. The mad mob, however, does not ask so much how things can become better, but only that things may be changed. Then if things are worse, they will still want something different. And this is an amazing, I mean, this is so relevant, dare we say, to us today, that the mob just wants someone different. It doesn't care what it is. It just wants something different. 
<laughs> Luther says, to improve, to change is one thing. To improve is quite another. To change is easy. To improve is very difficult. So be careful just chasing after change. Okay. Uh, um, mm, mm, hmm. let, me, let me get to, oh, let me take it to the end where Luther takes up a couple of questions. And he asks one, which I think is really interesting. He says, he says what if I'm a soldier and, and my prince in this context, or my country, my ruler, goes into a war that's wrong? What should I do then? Suppose my lord were wrong in going to war. And here's Luther's answer. If you know for sure that he's wrong, then you should fear God rather than men, and not fight or serve, for you cannot have a good conscience before God. He says, well, what, what if I'm being compelled? What if my wife and children and my property and everything will be taken away and I'll be shamed as a coward and so forth? The answer, you must take that risk and with God's help, let go what goes. He can restore it to you a hundredfold as he promised in the gospel. He that leaves house and home, wife, goods for my sake shall get it back a hundredfold. In all other works too, we must expect the danger that the rulers will compel us to do wrong. But since God will have us leave even father and mother for his sake, we must certainly leave lords for his sake. So he says, look, if you know that the thing that you're being compelled to do is wrong, then don't do it. Take your lumps and trust God. And really this is... It's like every piece of pastoral advice I think I've ever given. You got to take your lumps and trust God. So oftentimes, we, I mean, this it's happened surprisingly more than we would think, that we know the right thing to do, but, we, but we're afraid to do it or whatever. We got to take our lumps and trust the Lord. Here's another question, and this is good for us to think about, especially on, on um, Veterans Day when we honor our veterans because one of the most appealing things about most veterans is their great humility, that they're not seeking after uh, the glory of war. They're those who, you know, the pagans always would talk about how we go to war today and we become heroes and this sort of thing. And Luther says, no, <laughs> this is not how a Christian goes to war. In fact, he's going to talk about how Christians should, what they should hear from their superiors before the battle starts. The fourth question, what's to be said about the man who goes to war not only for the sake of wealth but also for the sake of temporal honor in order that he may become a big man and be looked up to? The answer, greed of money and greed of honor are both greed. The one is wrong as the other and he who fights in this vice gets hell for himself. We are to leave the honor and give the honor to God alone and be satisfied with the wages and rations. It is, therefore, a heathen and not a Christian custom to exhort soldiers before the battle like this. Dear comrades, dear soldiers, be brave and confident. God willing, we shall get honor today and become rich. On the contrary, they, that is the Christian soldiers, should be exhorted like this. Dear comrades, we are gathered here in service, duty, and obedience to our prince, and according to God's will and ordinance, we are bound to stand by him with body and goods. Although before God we are poor sinners, as are our enemies, 
Nevertheless, since we know that our prince is in the right in this case, or at least do not know otherwise, we are therefore sure and certain that in serving and obeying him, we are serving God. Let everyone then be brave and courageous, and let no one think otherwise than that his fist is God's fist, his pike is God's pike, and cry with heart and voice, God and the emperor. If God gives us victory, the honor and praise shall be his, not ours, for he does it through us poor sinners. But the booty and the pay we will take as presents and gifts of his goodness and grace to us who are unworthy, and thank him for them from our hearts. Now God grant the victory forward with joy. <laughs> oh, man. How about that? Now that gives it kind of it gives it the whole deal in a in a thumbnail sketch there how Luther thinks about this but there's some more this is really good stuff and we'll wind down thinking about it without a doubt if one seeks the honor of God and lets him have it the honor as is just and right and as it ought to be then more honor will come than anyone could ask because God has promised in 1 Kings 2 4 he that honoreth me him I will honor again but he that dishonoreth me shall be dishonored in return since he cannot fail to keep his, this promise of his, he must honor those who honor him. And the one of the greatest sins is when one seeks one's own honor. For this is nothing else than robbery of the divine majesty. Let others, Luther says, let others therefore boast and seek honor. Do you be obedient and quiet, and your honor will find you. Many a battle is lost that might have been won if honor alone could have done it. For these honor-greedy warriors do not believe that God is in the war and gives the victory. Therefore they do not fear God and are not joyful, but foolhardy and mad. And at last they are beaten. So this is it. God is in the war. God is in the sword. God is in the judge. God is in the president and the Congress and the Senate. God is in the general and the soldier and the tank and the missile. God is in the country and the nation and the authority that it bears. And he's there exercising his authority, exercising the sword, preventing chaos and death from spreading everywhere, preventing destruction and, and pillaging and and dishonoring from spreading to every place. God is there, and he's doing these things. But he's not there to save. <laughs> the Lord exercises his power to protect us and keep us alive, to give us a little bit of peace. But when it comes to save, the Lord does it in weakness. He does it in, in humility. He does it in the, in the quietness of the incarnation of our Lord Jesus. He, he does it in, not, not in exercising authority, but in suffering the authority exercised by the Sanhedrin and by Pontius Pilate and by the soldiers who were the executioners that day at Golgotha. That's where he saves. 
And that's where he saves the soldier and the ruler, the prince and the ruled, those who are victorious in battle and those who lose their lives in battle, those who are soldiers and those who are not. That's where we are saved. The office of soldier is, is a good work. But it's only sinners who are soldiers. And the only hope for sinners is Jesus Christ. Think of that. The the one who was who was nailed to a cross by soldiers, who was pierced through his lungs and into his heart by soldiers. The ones whom the soldiers there at the cross says, Truly this is the Son of God. So God be praised. God be praised on Veterans Day for all of you veterans who have served the cause of peace and especially those who've done so in the Lord's name and who have marched out to war with, with joy and with faith. God be praised for Jesus who went, to, who went to war with sin and death and who bore all of these things for us on the cross to save us. The soldier and the sinner all alike. <laughs> God be praised that he gives us life in the body. And God be praised in Christ that he gives us life eternal. Thanks for listening to Cross Defense. I am your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church and Jesus Deaf Lutheran Church here in Austin, Texas. Oh, I'd love it. Stop in and see us sometime whenever you're in the area. God be praised uh, for that. And, uh, and check out more theology. You can find it all at the website, Wolfmuller. Dot co. Make sure to listen to past episodes of this show, Cross Defense. And thanks for hanging around. Thanks for being part of the fun here on Cross Defense, where every week we take up theology to excite the imagination with the joy and comfort that the Lord gives. Talk to you next week. God's peace be with you. Defense is a production of KFUO Radio. Find past episodes and support Cross Defense at KFUO.org. Hey, thanks for listening to the podcast talking about theology, the joy of the. There's just nothing better than theology. If this episode was helpful for you, uh, that oh, God be praised. I'd love to hear from you. Wolfmuller.co slash contact is the best way to get a hold of me. And if there's someone that you think it would be helpful for, Maybe someone who is a soldier or who has a vocation of violence who would appreciate this, this kind of conscience-calming balm that Luther offers for us. I'd be grateful if you would share it with them. Hopefully, uh, they'll be grateful to, to you as well. And if you'd like to read all of what Luther wrote, whether soldiers too can be saved, you can download that little guy for free at Wolfmuller slash co slash download. Wait, Wolfmuller.co slash downloads. You could buy it for five bucks. There's a link there too. Uh, and hope you enjoy it. If you do, let me know. Other topics, things you'd like to hear about, let me know about that as well. God's peace be with you.